Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I am joined by Matt Cooper, the CEO of Skillshare. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been with Skillshare for a while now, and I've learned uh, a whole bunch. Uh, I took my friend John Contino's classes on Skillshare. That kind of led me down the path to being an illustrator. Just the other day, I was using it, and I thought to myself, I would love to learn more about the people behind this great company, and uh, who better to talk to than the CEO? So... Um, how did you come to Skillshare? Tell me, tell me about your journey leading up to this, and then I guess we'll go from there. Yeah, so uh, actually started my career in investment banking uh, back in uh, 1998. Had a did that for four years. Uh, had a great run. Actually, really enjoyed it. But uh, after you know 80, 90 hour weeks for four years, I was ready to do something else. Oh so my God, yeah. um, moved uh, moved out to California. Kind of ended up in the the whole startup scene. Yeah. Uh, worked for uh, a couple startups, but then kind of the most notable one was uh, then called Odesk. Now it's called Upworks, a big freelancer right. platform. Yeah. Um, I just had a magical five year run at Odesk Upwork. Um, left there to be the CEO of Visually, which was a similar uh, freelancer-driven model, but specifically focused on creative work, uh, and particularly visual content. Um, sold that in 2016 and joined Skillshare originally as the COO, uh, and then took on the CEO role about a year later. So I've been, been with Skillshare now about three years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's really kind of cool. The first person that I talked to who was kind of like in the operations space was uh, James Orsini, and had a, he had kind of a he was the uh, you know he's the right hand man to Gary V. He was a chief operations officer. Now he's re, uh, leading uh, the Sasha Group, but you know kind of a similar story. Kind of came from the finance world and then to the operations side, and you know he was a CEO as well. And um, I remember the first time that I I reached out to somebody who was like an operations officer or a CEO. I was like, do I even have any business talking to them? And then, I, and then I realized that a lot of times, like the CEO is kind of like, you know, the one who like takes on everything sort of thing. So um, what is that experience like when you go from like an operations role to a CEO role where like, you know, all the pressure is on you and it's kind of like, you know, I, I can't imagine that I could do that, but, and, and it takes a certain kind of person, you know, the kind of person who works like 90 hour work weeks sort of thing. Right. <laughs> but what, yeah, is, you know, I mean, what is that like? And, and how do you like, you know, deal with like that pressure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my, my role at Odesk, uh, was actually a kind of a perfect primer. Um, I started out running operations, so customer service, trust and safety, uh, but then ended up building up the enterprise business and was kind of a miniature GM of that business. We right. sort of treated it as its own thing. So we had our own sales team, our own service team, our own engineering, you know, we had engineering resources dedicated to it. So it was a nice place to kind of cut my teeth on sort of owning my own team, my own function, building my own business within the business. Right. So that was just a, that, that job in particular, I just got to see and got exposure to a lot of different things in a short period of time. So that was right. kind of the perfect stepping stone to visually, um, you know, visually was, so that was my first CEO role. Um, and it was a tough situation. Uh, you know, the company was not in great shape when I walked in the door. And the you know the joke at the time was, did I want to be the CEO of any company willing to make me CEO? Um, <laughs> and you know, I think the the beauty of kind of being in a tough situation like that is it just strips away a lot of the noise. Like you just, we just didn't have the time or the resources to focus on anything other than right. the most important things to get the business turned in the direction we wanted it to go. Right, like there wasn't um, time for politics, kind of thing. Yeah, you just you know, I think when the house is on fire, you just grab a bucket, yeah, yeah. and 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 I and it allowed me to hire 
an exec team and promote from within uh, from the people who wanted to grab a bucket. Because once I sort of got in the door and I said, look, here's where we are. These are the challenges the company has. These are the things we need to do. There were definitely people who just self-selected out. And that was great. Um, you know, so I think the when when the house is on fire, it's either, you know, they're the people who grab a bucket, they're the people who run from the building, and then they're the people just stand there and shout fire. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fireman, and, actually, here in Mawa. So I, I, well, oh, there you go. I'm All here, right. So you yeah, so, yeah. I have friends yeah. that literally run into burning buildings, like, without their, like, without any, like, protective gear on and will, like, risk their lives. It's just, like, it's so, I'm not necessarily that guy, but I have friends that, <laughs> my friend Matt, there's been, like, three incidents where I was, like, seeing him on, like, you know, eyewitness news. I'm just like, oh, my wow. God, dude, what are you doing? He's a New York City yeah. fireman, so you'd hope, you know. You hope that he right. had kind of had that kind of chutzpah forward. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, well, yeah, and I think that yeah, the people who are the biggest problem are the ones who just out there stand there and shout fire. Right, right. right. Uh, yeah, it's like they're grab a bucket and help, or just clear out so we can get some work done. Right, um, right, right. So I love the yeah, analogy. Think, yeah, that totally works. Yeah, you know, just having and what you know back to the kind of what allows you to sleep at night. The big part of it is just having the right people around you. I mean, I, mm-hmm. our our executive team here they're amazing at what they do. They've got decades of experience. Like they know their job better than I ever will. Uh, And that just, when you've got the right team around you, I think that's, that's the way it should be. I think the, I've always bristled a little bit at the whole, Oh, it's lonely at the top thing. Right. Um, Right. Doing your job, right. You should have a great exec team around you. You should have great board. You should have the right advisors around you. Like you should never feel lonely. You should never be making these decisions by yourself. Yeah, for sure. Could you maybe give some insights into some things you've learned sort of, you know, sitting at the table, if you will, because I I, want to kind of show that that's an attainable thing that comes with kind of like, you know, pressure and time sort of thing. And eventually, like you said, if you do the hard yards, you'll eventually figure out how to do it all. But in terms of like navigating the corporate landscape, is, you know, for people that are just coming in, what are maybe some insights on, you know, how to listen, how to take notes? Do you take notes? Do you just listen? Something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a, when you talk to CEOs and or just execs in general who just have been around the block, they've seen lots of things, they've right. got a, a real depth and breadth of experience. There's just a comfort with not having all the answers that when I meet, you know, first time founder CEOs, younger execs who don't necessarily have that experience and exposure and track record, there's a little bit, you feel like there's more of a need to have all the answers. Yes. And, and yeah, I, mean, I look at my, my first management role when I was 27, um, you know, <laughs> that, that poor team, I, you know, I can only imagine what they, uh, were dealing with, with, you know, this 27 year old <laughs> former investment banker who just assumed he had all the answers. Right. Uh, and, and more than, you know, and probably more problematic felt like he had to have all the answers. And yes. I think that's just something you grow out of over time. And I mm-hmm. think the, the best founder CEOs and the more junior execs who just do really well or are kind of way ahead um, of their age, they just have that naturally. Yeah. Um, so either you either get there through trial and error or you sort of come into it with that mindset. But I just think there are a lot of um, – and just managers in general, like you feel like you need to know the answer and that's really not it. You need right. to – help your team get to the right answer. And that could just be by asking a lot of questions. It could be by connecting them with people who have actually done all this before. Like it's not on you to dictate what the right answer should be. Right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I kind of have, I've been having this kind of realization recently that like 
that confidence is is really being calm. And I think that if yeah. you see someone who seems really confident, they're not. And if you see somebody who's like calm and kind of just like in the, you know, in the cut, as the kids say, like, you know what I mean? It's, I, yeah. like, I recently met like Sean Lyons, who's the global CEO of RGA. And you would think like, man, like this is going to be, this is going to be nerve wracking. This guy's, you know, like the CEO of one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world, nonetheless, like the country. And you meet him and he's just like the nicest, most like calm, generous guy who's like infinitely patient. And I had all these dumb questions and like he met it with like a real kind of like, you know, like just a con, like you can just tell that he's not somebody who's trying to like prove anything. And, and it's just so funny to kind of see that. But like you said, though, it's only, it's only human nature. You know what I mean? Cause you're, you're unsure. And, and I've had that too. In the, in the, like when I first started out this podcast, I was, you know, I want, I had this kind of like academic tone and this sort of, you know, I would like talk about like the way it is. And as this podcast has progressed, it's now something like a hundred and something episodes. You know, I think I'm more humble now and it's kind of like that, you know, it's like that George, um, that George Harrison quote. It's like the, the more I learn, the less I know. That's kind of yeah. how, that's how I feel yep. a little bit on this podcast because when I first came out, I was like, well, I know and I need to prove myself as an equal. And now it's more like me <laughs> just being real with myself and realizing that like, I don't know the first thing and there's, and there's a beauty in that. I just wish that, that, um, that one, that people would allow themselves to feel that way, but also too, that, that, you know, the industry was a little bit more receptive to that and, and, you know. Yeah. 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 There's a, uh, there's a great, um, I think it was originally a blog post and I, I heard him speak at a, an event, but, um, one of the management gurus, uh, his name is Marshall Goldsmith. He writes a, uh, a post about adding too much value yeah. and uh, you know, the, the gist of it is managers tend to think that they need to contribute and they need to show how much they know. And you know, a lot of times the, even if your idea as the manager is better than the one that the team is bringing to you, they might end up executing better on their idea that they're fully bought into right. versus, you know, as soon as you start nitpicking and giving feedback and, you know, quote unquote, adding value, now it's not their problem and solution. It's your solution. Right. Um, and well, a lot just, of times. You just brought up like a slew of emotions that I just had thinking. About. Yeah. Like, you know, it's all, just, the, all the dreams you that were crossed. No, run. Yeah. No, you know, it's, it, you just let them run. And, you know, look, you don't want to set them up for failure. But right. I think there's sort of a, you don't want to be so arrogant to think that you've got all the answers. Exactly. That's really cool. I, I like management, but sometimes when management has to go advocate, advocate for me. I don't feel like I'm represented and I have an actual connection with that C-suite level. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, there's a lot yeah. of times that I just like, I got let go and I almost wish I knew like why, but there's like some manager right. who doesn't want to have that tough conversation with me. And I kind of want to have that talk with that C-suite person. Like, Hey, like, you know, CFO led decision, but like, but why? And how right. do you kind of bridge yep. that gap between like the decisions being made and then people being kind of like that liaison, if you will. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. No, it, it makes total sense. I think you know every company, as you grow, one of the biggest challenges is the communications up and down and just making sure that everybody's aligned on where we're going and why. Right. Um, and when we like do our – You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so I think there are a couple of mechanisms where you know I try to go – try to communicate directly with the team. Um, I'll write internal blog posts. We do a weekly uh, town hall where we talk about what's going on within the business. I'll then send out a weekly newsletter with kind of highlights that we also covered in the town hall. Uh, so we try to have some regular 
communications cadence. So they're hearing directly from me. Um, But how do you get the information from them to me? Um, Like when we do our annual planning process, one of the things we do, we start out with a company-wide survey. So we usually keep it pretty generic. It's either kind of a SWOT style questionnaire or start, stop, continue. You know, what do we right. need to start doing? What do we need to stop doing? What should we continue doing? But basically that company-wide survey is just to bubble up themes from the people who are actually doing the work every day and seeing the things that I don't see and the exact team doesn't see. Right. Um, so we use that data, that information from the team. Then the management team goes through that survey in, in detail and then, you know, knowing what we know and where we see the business going, where we see the opportunities are, we try to pull all of that information together into a high-level sort of top-down, you know, these are the three to four themes of what we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. Then we go back to the teams and say, all right, this, these are the areas of focus. Create your bottoms-up plan, knowing what you know on how you can help, how your team can help us achieve these goals as right, a company. Right, how you can so, enable those employees, right, yeah. Yeah, so That's it's kind cool. of a back and forth between top downs and top down and bottoms up. You know, the bottoms up is a great way to get buy in, but you got then you struggle to make it a cohesive strategy if it's just everybody's pet project. Right. Top down, it can be a very cohesive strategy, but nobody understands why, or you know, they don't feel like they got to contribute. So right, right, we right. try back and forth between those two to get to to find a happy medium. That's really cool. That totally answered my question. That, that like makes, that makes a lot of sense too. In, in terms of uh, like Skillshare, so I w- kind of want to talk a little bit about like you know the platform, about what's going on for people that m- might be new to it. I'm a huge believer, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, it's fundamentally changed my life. You know, online education, especially Skillshare. Um, I think that it's really kind of cool how like Skillshare will allow people to kind of um, you know there's the, the Skillshare originals like John Contino's is a good example. By the way, John, you like owe me money from this free plug right now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, can you tell me about like what that process is like? I would imagine that a lot of people want to make them and um, kind of how you're curating what are the best videos because I, I would imagine there's a lot of people that are are they, are they shooting them on their own? Or are they shooting them in the studio? How does that all work? I should probably know this, but yeah. I'll let you. Yeah, no. So we have um, it's on the. Well, the teacher community, we have about 8,000 teachers from all over the world. Um, about 60% of the teachers are actually outside of the U.S., so it is very much a global expert community. Right. Um, again, anybody can come in and teach. So they're, you know, as long as you've got good content and you meet sort of the quality standards and, and the expectations of what it means to, to host a class on Skillshare, right. you're welcome. Um, so we get – Roughly, you know, 600 new classes a month coming in um, from the community. So the oh overwhelming majority of our 20,000 plus classes are coming from that open community. Uh, now you mentioned the Skillshare Originals. So we will partner with typically bigger name influencers, experts in certain, you know, um, certain fields. Right. Um, and in those cases, we will help them produce, edit, publish the content. Uh, but then they sort of act within the teaching community the same way as everyone else. Right. Uh, so it's just a it's a but nice like way the flagship for us to bring. Ones, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a great way for us to bring bigger, more well known names onto the platform, um, and it's you know obviously sets a very high bar for the rest of the teacher community. But it's also cool for the teachers to get to sit there and be teaching side by side with some of their idols and, and mentors. So um, I think it's a really powerful combination to have that depth and breadth and freshness of content that you get from a completely open platform, uh, but also have the sort of curated voice and 
sort of taste making that comes from having handpicked experts teaching specific topics. Right, exactly. I think what makes Skillshare unique and why I love it is it's not only is it thorough, but it's fun. And there's kind of that, that transfer of enthusiasm. And I think that for a lot of people that are just entering the field, they, they, they need that kind of like, oh, wow, like this is, this is cool. Like I can make a living doing this. And uh, I think that really comes across. So you guys are crushing the game in that regard. So Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, okay, so before all this, when you, when you first got into the field, um, kind of jumping back a little bit here, did you ever have any moments um, where you, in your, in your own personal career, where you had like doubts or where you felt like, like you had kind of like a little bit of like a quarter life crisis sort of thing, or can you maybe, maybe give some insight to something like that? Cause I like to show that although people are CEOs and at the top executive level that they too had their struggles. Do you have any stories that come mm-hmm. to mind or? Yeah, no, there was a point at, uh, at Odesk where, where they hired over me. Uh, so I was the oh, wow, VP of operations and, and also, um, so I was on the exec team, reported director of the CEO, ran all of the customer service, trust and safety, enterprise, BD, international. Uh, so I had a lot on my plate. And yeah, one day CEO came to me and said, look, we think we're heading towards IPO. The board and I think it's time to bring someone into run operations who's done it at a bigger company and we're going to hire over you. Um, and so they, they brought someone in who had, had worked at PayPal and eBay and, uh, yeah, I was pissed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah I, can, I, I would be uh, too, man. I would be too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I struggled with it and, you know, cause I felt like I had done, you know, a lot of hard work and, and good work to get the company where it was. And, yeah. and it was by no means a situation where balls were hitting the ground or things were broken. It right. was sort of, they were they were trying to make sure that that didn't happen. Right. Um, and you know, like I went and looked around for the jobs, I interviewed for other roles. And, um, in the end, I just really liked the company. I liked what we were doing and, and I wasn't finding what I wanted somewhere else. You know, right. so I wanted to see a job. I wanted a VP of operations role at a bigger company and uh, I wasn't getting it. Right. So, uh, at some point you got to take a hard look at, all right, what's the best path for me? And, um, you know, the company was doing really well and I was still learning and I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. And, right. uh, brought someone in and, you know, it, it ended up, they sort of unwound the whole thing about a year later. Um, and I kind of got most of my job back. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah, so funny. it worked out fine in the end. Um, yeah. and then, you know, three months or six months after that, I get a CEO job. Uh, so it's, you know, I think and that was the, Skillshare, correct? And that, that was visually, oh, it's visually. Um, okay, which gotcha. before Skillshare, but, um, you know, it's just, it was tough. It was hard to swallow. It was, you know, my ego was bruised and, um, but you just got to sort of take as, uh, dispassionate a view of what your options are. And, uh, you know, as hard as it was to swallow my pride, right. it turned out that the absolute best thing for me to do was stay at Odesk and, and ride it out for a little longer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could, I could totally relate. And um, one of the toughest things to stomach is you're giving 100% and then someone says, like, that's not good enough. That's yeah. That can yep. be so hard and um, it's not something that a lot of people talk about because, you know, you don't ever want to lose your public-facing perception of, like, you know, he's – 
I want everyone to look at my podcast and think Rob's out there crushing it. But if you were to, you right. know, yeah. if you were to look at every post, I could go and say, you know, I got this, this month I, I posted that, but really I was getting fired and couldn't pay my bills or couldn't do this. And, <laughs> yeah. it, and it's just so funny how, um, in my, in my own life, I've, I've seen that I've done that. And, you know, for anyone that's kind of comparing themselves or saying, you know, or is it up staring at the ceiling at three o'clock in the morning thinking like, what am I going to do next? I think that's, I think that's normal at, at and it, and it happens at every level. It's kind of just part of like the yeah. human condition. But man, I struggle. Well, I struggle with that though. Like my get even. The biggest jumps in this podcast have been like somebody said you weren't good enough, and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm I am going to uproot the foundation and stay up until four o'clock in the morning and do whatever I possibly can to prove this person right. And then reflecting back on it, a lot of times it was like that's what I should have been doing in the first place. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I look at my career. I mean, I, so I started out in investment banking when I moved out to California, I was unemployed for nine months. Damn. Uh, So, I mean, that was another (laughs) gut check (laughs) of, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I went from being, or thinking I was, you know, uh, a hot shit investment banker and I got out to California and being an unemployed telecom investment banker in Silicon Valley in 2002, like, yeah. Nobody cared. You thought I was uh, going to be were, like a gold were, line. You thought you were going to get there. Yeah. I mean, I thought I'd walk into a private equity job and be, you know, happily ever after. And, right. you know, then six months later, I'm still applying for like financial analyst roles, making a third of what I was making in banking. And I couldn't even get the interview. Um, That's crazy. So it's, you know, I, and I look at every job change. So my first startup, I left as a VP. My first role at Odesk was actually a director role. And then they promoted me to VP. Right. Uh, and I went from uh, VP to um, CEO at Visually, but when I went from Visually to Skillshare, I took a COO job, not a CEO job. So, like, right. pretty much every transition I've made, I've taken either a pay cut or a title cut, right? Because it just put me on the right path. And I, I actually interviewed at one point when I was when I was pissed off about being hired over. I interviewed with <laughs> Facebook uh, right. for for actually to, to run their recruiting and the, uh, Lori Goler, who's the head of people, um, at, uh, at Facebook and just amazing. Right. Uh, one of the things she said to me was, you know, you've got to think about your career as, you know, what train are you on and where is it going to drop you off? Mm-hmm. If it gets, if it drops you off at grand central station at three o'clock, uh, you've, you've got other places you can go. Right. If it drops to Skokie, Illinois at 2am <laughs> right. sitting there for yeah, you're going to be there for Don't, a while. Exactly. That's a great analogy. I love that. Well, like what seat you're in, worry about what train you're getting on and where's it going. Um, and I think that has definitely, that's been great advice over the years. Yeah. You know, in those moments, especially for someone like myself, or it's, it sounds like you too, it's like, I'm so hard on myself. You know what I mean? And sometimes I move myself to like, to tears for nothing. Like things are going fine, but like it, in my mind, like it's all wrong. And you know, I, th- I think that the, the ego, not the ego in the sense of like being an asshole, but the ego in the sense of like, you know, your own personal monologue. Um, sometimes you got to check it and just realize that you're, uh, you're sort of on the train in transit, if you will, but on your way nonetheless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, um, you know, I think the, um, just having good people around you again, back to the, you know, whether it's your exec team or your spouse or your or just friends and network. I mean, I, you know, uh, that's why I get a lot of 
calls and emails and LinkedIn. And if I've got time to help somebody, I will. Cause you know, there were a lot of people when I was unemployed in Silicon Valley in 2002 who took coffees and grabbed lunch and yeah, just yep. gave me lots of free input. And, and Facebook has great you know, food, by the way, just go for the food yeah. alone. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But a lot of those people, you know, that I, uh, you know, you do them a favor here and there at some point, you know, it may or may, you know, you don't do it hoping that what it will pay off later, right. but it's amazing how often it does. Yeah, for sure. There's a quote, I've said it a thousand times at nauseum on this podcast, uh, but it's by Cy Wakeman, who is a, a great inspiration to me and a friend, and she's been on the podcast before, but it's don't be transactional so that you can be trans, mm -hmm. so that you can become transformational. And, and it's true. And, you know, people always like, are like, Rob, like, you know, you get in touch with all these people and, and I can't get anyone to respond. And I always say to them, like, you know, well, what, what are you saying in the email? Like, what is the intent of the email? And a lot of times it's like, if this, then that. And, and that's not necessarily the best um, path in my experience for networking. A lot of times it's, you know, like I could at the end of this call, I could like throw a Hail Mary and ask to be like a senior designer at Skillshare. And, you know, but number one, it probably wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Number number two, it's probably not even the person that you're talking to is like decision necessarily. Um, actually, well, in your case, it probably it would be, but <laughs> but you, you know what I mean though? It's it's like you kind yeah, of yeah yeah yeah. Well, I think as soon as people feel like you're doing it because there's something in it for you, that's it's kind of over. Yeah you yeah, like, and, and you may be able to get out of that situation and, and and like and have it not be awkward, but like when they don't respond the next time. That you will, you yeah. know, you know why, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And I think, that or, most or you just have to be crystal clear. It's like, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Like, yeah, I think the, where you get, where you leave a bad taste in people's mouth is when you pretend like you're asking for a, but you're really asking for B. Right, right, right. Yeah. I've been kind of struggling with this actually recently on the podcast. Cause I, I edited the podcast as well and I, I hear it back sometimes. And, and I think to myself, like, is what, is what I, I'm doing is it self-serving or or am I like uh, um like you and I are having this conversation at scale and then there are people listening to this conversation and thinking of themselves like as me you know what I mean like am I doing my listeners yep. a disservice by not asking the questions that I actually like, want to ask or is that self-serving kind of thing but um I just lately I've just been really like confused and the podcast is going like amazing but like internally, it's kind of like that scene in Titanic where she's like sitting and she's like, but inside I was screaming. That's like, kind of, <laughs> that's like kind of where I am right now. You know what I mean? Like, like everything's good and I'm at the party and everything's kind of moving and shaking, but I, I am having a lot of like internal conflict and I, it's probably, you know, yeah. it's like that John well, Mayer, I, you know, I think there's a, you know, it's never as good as it looks and it's never as bad as it looks. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's another thing that just sort of comes with time and yeah. battle scars. Um, one of the, our one of our board members is Albert Wanger from Union Square Ventures, and he made a comment a couple of weeks ago at a conference around like his one of his core roles as a board member is to be somewhat sort of counter cyclical to whatever the CEO is feeling. Yeah. Um, when the CEO is down and all hell is breaking loose and things look just horrific, his job is to balance them out, pump them up a little bit, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, and conversely, when 
they just raised the round, revenue's cranking, everything's amazing, everything is up and to the right. His job is to bring them back down to reality and say, all right, well, that's all good, but right. where are the holes? Where are the potential pitfalls? Start thinking of like, where's the next fire going to pop up? Right. Um, and I just think that's a, a great piece of advice for anyone who is a friend, a spouse, a parent, a manager. Um, you know, you don't want to suck all the fun out of it. Right. Uh, but like there's a, a role of like, it's never that, never that great. And it's never that terrible. Right. Just level things out a little bit. You know, you brought up a, a, a great point about about hiring. And just as the final question, you know, when you're looking for, you know, whether it be executives or people to join Skillshare, um, what are you looking for? And, and what are the signs when you're interviewing somebody, you know, and you're in the application process? What are you looking for when you're making hires? Yeah. Um, you know, I think at the exec team level, um, yeah, I think you mentioned this earlier, like it, I want people who are, who know, who forget more about their jobs than I know. Right. Um, so I think the, that depth and breadth of expertise at an exact level for a company, our size, you know, I think that is very important. I think really strong people skills. Can they attract talent? Can they retain talent? Can they develop talent? Cause you know, they're in the same position I'm in. I, you know, Technically speaking, I don't actually do anything, right? <laughs> you know, my job is <laughs> to get that, all the people <laughs> in place who can do all the work and right. do it really well. And you know, my job is to get them the resources they need, get the obstacles out of right. the way, make sure everybody's aligned and pulling in the same direction. The chess pieces, kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and they're you know, and they should be doing that too. They're not you know jumping into you know, they should be able to jump in and get hands on when they need to, but. Ultimately, they need to get the right people in place who can do the right work and get them aligned. So, right. um, you know, I, I want to find people who can um, who can run their own show and can do it without needing a lot of care and feeding. So that you know, when the exec team is meeting, we're talking about where should this company go? Why is that the right strategy? Uh, as opposed to sort of the more nuanced executional details. Right. Exactly. And and again, I say you know, I say that knowing that. We absolutely dive into executional details, but right. um, you know that's not what I'm necessarily hiring for is the uh, sort of best and highest use of exec time. Right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. It's really been incredible. I appreciate your you know your humility, your sharing, you know your story, um, and I think it's really kind of cool to have it at scale a conversation like this. People, two people that are in fundamentally different positions, but yet finding a lot of common ground. So thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Happy to help. Yeah, you are the man. Uh, where can people find you online? What's the best place to get in touch? Um, what's the best place, you know, Skillshare if they want to? Skillshare.com. Yes. Yep. Yeah, come Sign check up. it out. We've got uh, a lot of, lot of great content, a lot of great teachers, and uh, it's, a, it's a very affirmative and positive community. So uh, And a new logo, a new, a new, yeah, identity, yeah, a new identity, identity system. Nice. Wow, yep. I, I really yes. dropped the ball on that big, one, but I, I love it. Big rebrand. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. They, the team did an amazing job. I give it the, the, the uh, I give it the meet the creatives cosign. I love it. I think it looks fantastic. <laughs> I think it catches catches the eye, uh, and it's fun, young and cool like Skillshare is. So. Yeah, yep. You are the man. Great. Thanks so much, man. It's been a lot All right. Fun. All right. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Take care.